0: Uh, My plan is not to read the entire book at this moment, uh, but to pray, and uh, during uh, the course of the message, we will uh, read uh, through Titus. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You're good and gracious to us in every respect, better to us than we deserve. Often we say that this is the case, uh, but uh, too often, Father, uh, that fact and that truth does not come home to our hearts. And so we pray that uh, you would uh, make us in a, a genuine way, and th- an authentic way, uh, feel your truth in our hearts, that we might bow before you and love you, Uh, yes, more fervently, and devote ourselves to you more fully. And we ask, Father, that as this is the case, we will be mindful of the fact that uh, one of the purposes that you have given us in this life is to align our lives, each of us, to align our lives to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. So bless us uh, to this end this evening, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, each of you has a personal theology. In other words, each of you has... Uh, a certain conception uh, of God, a certain conception of Jesus Christ, a certain conception of the gospel. And uh, the question is, uh, how does your personal theology compare to the actual truth of the Word of God? And are there uh, pieces of Uh, your personal theology that need to be more and more brought into conformity to uh, the truth of the Word of God, to the theology of the Bible. I would say, yes, yes, this is the case. And uh, this is the case for each one of us. And more and more, then, uh, your life and my life needs to be uh, aligned with the gospel, aligned with Jesus Christ. More and more, Uh, The life of the church, this church, this congregation, needs to be aligned with the gospel. And uh, as we look tonight at uh, the uh, uh, little letter of Paul to Titus, uh, this is the message uh, that Paul is giving to Titus for uh, the churches in Crete. And it's not only a message for the churches in Crete, but it's a message for you and it's a message for me uh, as uh, we look at this uh, little book. And uh, so, uh, as we begin, uh, we begin with Paul's charge to Timothy, Paul's commission to Timothy, which is actually a commission to you and to me, chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. Well, if if you put things in order, you line them up. Uh, and, and this is exactly what uh, Paul is talking about. Uh, aligning uh, the church... And if you align the church, you have to have a standard to which the church is aligned. And the standard is the gospel. The standard is the Word of God. And this is true for the church, and it's true for the members of the church. In uh, chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, the Apostle Paul reiterates this uh, commission. "...declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority." Let no one disregard you. Declare these things. Paul has a number of teachings and a group of instructions that he has uh, for Titus and that he has for the people of the churches in Crete. And uh, these instructions include instructions for uh, the eldership. These include instructions for various uh, categories of people uh, within the church. Uh, these instructions include uh, how the, uh, church members ought to uh, 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 serve and react to civil authorities and how uh, church members ought to uh, uh, have relationships with those who are outside the church. These various instructions and uh, Paul is saying to Timoth- or Titus, uh, uh, make sure you declare these things. This is part of his commission. And this is the commission you and I have also, to declare these truths uh, in the church of uh, Jesus Christ. And then also in uh, chapter 3 and in verse 8, uh, Paul says to Titus, I want you to insist on these things, on uh, these things, these uh, uh, declarations, uh, these uh, uh, instructions uh, that I'm giving you. Now, uh, why is it that uh, Paul is so earnest uh, along these lines? Well, uh, like it or not, uh, there, are, there is always error uh, within individual lives. Uh, there are always errors uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. There are always places where uh, corrections uh, need to be made. Uh, Some of you know that years ago, uh, I was a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, OPC. And uh, when I visited uh, families who uh, visited our congregation, I would always say uh, to the families when I visited them, OPC does not mean only perfect church, because There is not a perfect church in this world. And there won't be a perfect church in this world. The perfect church awaits heaven. Uh, I haven't figured out how to work that out with RPC quite yet. Uh, but, but, But that's the situation, isn't it? There are always difficulties. There are always problems. And there are always difficulties and problems in our personal lives. Uh, If you think this is not the case, guess again. Guess again. And Paul lays out some of the uh, difficulties and problems in verses 10 and following in Titus chapter 1. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching Uh, uh, by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of uh, the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liar, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, all uh, and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him uh, by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for every good work. Uh, There were many Jews uh, in the church on Crete, or the churches in uh, Crete. And uh, it's very possible that uh, there were many Jews in the churches uh, on Crete uh, because there were Cretans who were present at the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And the only trip uh, that we know about in Scripture that Paul made to Crete was when he was on his way to Rome, imprisoned. And it's quite possible that the gospel got to Crete Uh, through these uh, folks that were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Uh, At any rate, uh, they uh, were of the circumcision party, and they brought uh, some of these uh, ideas uh, to uh, Crete and to the churches of Crete, uh, that uh, the ceremonial law, in order to be a Christian, a good Christian, you had to observe uh, certain pieces of the ceremonial law. Paul says, rebuke them. Uh, teach them, uh, silence them. And often the best way to uh, silence people is simply, easily, quietly give them the truth. Show them the truth. And Paul says that they may be sound in the faith. You see, this is what he was after. Uh, There were problems, but he desired to see the people of the churches and the churches themselves be aligned to the gospel and aligned to the truth of God, so that they would be sound in the faith. And so, uh, uh, to bring this about, uh, Paul uh, gives certain instructions to uh, the church. And, uh, first of all, he talks about church leaders. Again, Verse 5 and following in chapter 1. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, the uh, English Standard Version reads, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict. The uh, office of elder, important, church leaders, and... Elders and pastors need to fit certain qualifications. And it's interesting in this passage, uh, in the ESV at least, the uh, translation uh, of a Greek term uh, pops up. Self-controlled, self-controlled, self-controlled. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness. Self-control. And so, in the end... When you exercise self-control, it amounts to God-control through his word and by his spirit. And uh, the Apostle Paul says that uh, uh, elders must be the husband of one wife. And I already mentioned that there were uh, Jewish folk uh, on the island of Cyprus, and it appears quite a number of them, and they practiced, many of them practiced polygamy. And uh, Paul is weighing in against this. Paul is not saying that an elder must be married, because we know already by Paul's own testimony in 1 Corinthians 7 that he himself was not married. And uh, so you see there's some uh, cultural uh, context uh, here. And we need to understand uh, that this is the case. And so uh, Paul gives directions for uh, the eldership. And then you see in chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10, Paul gives uh, directions to different categories of individuals uh, within the church. Uh, Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, teach uh, what accords to sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, ESV again, uh, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, so much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, and to be self controlled, pure working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revealed. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opportunity may be put, uh, put to shame. So that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Older men. And as I say, once again, as the ESV translates it, uh, this idea of being self-controlled uh, comes uh, to the fore. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Uh, they are to train the younger women. And uh, Paul zeroes uh, in here on uh, the household. And uh, I, I think we need to understand that uh, these are general principles uh, that Paul is laying forth. And uh, we should understand that uh, there are circumstances in which uh, young women are called to a single life. Uh, Irma and I have a daughter who's single, and uh, God has called her to a single life, and she has her own household. And some of what Paul has to say uh, uh, about single women, uh, about younger women, I should say, has to do with her in her status as a single mom with adopted children. And so, uh, let's not jump to conclusions here, uh, once again, uh, that everyone has to be married. No, God has called individuals to a single life. Just like he says that uh, elders, uh, when he speaks about elders, they must be the husband of one wife. He's not uh, indicating by this statement that all elders have to be married. That's not the point of the text, as I uh, indicated earlier. Younger men, again, self-controlled. I'm really struck by this. Because I used to be a younger man. I used to be. (laughs) And I remember very well that uh, I needed self-control. And guess what God did? He put me in an institution where I was highly disciplined. The United States Military Academy at West Point. And you did not get away with living an undisciplined life. And you had to learn self-control. It was imposed upon you. And it's uh, very important for all of us to learn self-control. And sometimes we have to be put in a disciplined environment so that we do learn self-control. Bond servants. Uh, The analogy here is employers and employees. And uh, bond servants or employees need to be submissive to their employers. In other words, you don't say to your employers, I don't like what you're doing on this project. I've got a lot better idea, and I'm going to do it my way. This is a quick way to lose your job. No, you are submissive to your employer. You are not submissive, and guess what's going to happen? The employer is going to say, Yeah, Christian, Christian, Uh uh-huh, I thought so. You're out of here. Bad testimony. Bad testimony. And Paul, uh, then in chapter 3, discusses uh, rulers and authorities. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1 and following. uh, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and uh, hated by others and hating one another. No. Uh, We need to be submissive to the ruling authorities. Uh, We have a president in this country. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, we need to pray for him. We have a vice president in this country. Paul says we need to pray for him. We need to pray for the governor of the state. We need to pray for the state legislatures. We need to pray for the Congress. And Paul says in Timothy that we need to pray for our leaders so that we will live a quiet and peaceable life. That's the rationale. And so, you and I need to be obedient to The Scriptures, we need to bring our lives more and more into conformity to the Scriptures so that we don't act, as Paul says in uh, verse 3, so that we are not foolish and disobedient, led astray uh, as slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, uh, you see. And then in uh, uh, chapter 3, And uh, verses uh, 9 and following, uh, the Apostle Paul has further directions for the churches in Crete, for Titus, and for us. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division... After a warning, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and self-condemned. Avoid foolish controversies. It's easy to be drawn into a controversy. Here a few days ago, I was drawn into a controversy. I didn't watch my step. And uh, a rebuke came. Denny, you're just angry. You're not loving. You need to work on your love. Well, I need to take that seriously. I need to take that seriously because I know for one thing, I'm a loud mouth. And uh, uh, some have said this to me. Others, others who uh, uh, lack facility in hearing are glad that I'm a loud mouth. But still, uh, we need to understand ourselves. And uh, in this particular case, I said, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And uh, as an elder, if I'm going to align myself with the Word of God, I need to be mindful of the fact that when I'm challenged in these ways, uh, that i need to take that challenge seriously uh, that's part of aligning myself with the gospel and you and i aligning ourselves uh, with the gospel uh, there's a fellow in our presbytery the the text talks about uh, avoiding foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions uh, there's a pastor in our uh, presbytery who uh, traces his genealogy uh, back, uh, this is what he says anyway, he traces his genealogy back to Aaron, the high priest of Israel. And uh, uh, you chuckle. Uh, I, I was talking with him at uh, a family camp uh, two years ago, and uh, I was telling him that I, I just did the Ancestry.com uh, DNA testing. And uh, that I came back, I came back with some Jewish heritage. What's that all about? I don't know. I don't know. And uh, after he explained to me that he traced his lineage back to Aaron the high priest, I said, and so what difference does that make? And he was like... And his wife responded, exactly. (laughs) Uh, You see... Uh, We are not children of God because we're children of Abraham according to the flesh. We're children of God because we are God's children by faith. We are children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing uh, this actually is. And uh, so Paul uh, has a word uh, for uh, a lot of different categories of individuals. There are problems in the church. There are problems in individual lives. And uh, instructions need to be given uh, for different categories of people and uh, those instructions need to be heeded so that we bring our lives into alignment with the gospel. And uh, so, uh, what in addition does the apostle do? The apostle roots all of this instruction In the gospel, he roots all of this instruction in the gospel. In chapter 2 and verses 11 and following, he lays out some of the gospel foundation for the instructions that he gives. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, Who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared. How so? In the appearance of Jesus Christ. And He gave Himself to redeem us. His his death on the cross was a ransom price to redeem us from the penalty of sin. This is our redemption. And he has worked in us in such a way to redeem us from lawlessness and to purify him for himself a people who are zealous for good works. This is the grace of God at work. And all of the directions Paul gives are rooted in this profound and good work of Jesus Christ. In uh, chapter 3 and verses 4 and following, uh, we see a further gospel foundation for the instructions and the directions that Paul gives. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, uh, you see, the grace of God appeared, how? In Jesus Christ. The goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared. When Jesus Christ came into the world, the goodness and the kindness of God was manifested. And He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. No. No good works could be done by any of you or by me to merit the salvation worked out by Jesus Christ. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His mercy. God had mercy upon you and upon me. And then He describes this mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Yes, Christ not only came into the world and died on that cross, an objective view of the love of God. But then, He came to each one of us personally by the power of His Spirit, regenerating us and renewing us in our hearts and inclining the likes of you and me to trust in Jesus Christ. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, you are right with God. You are justified. Therefore, having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. What a wonderful thing God has done in the gospel. And it's on this foundation of the gospel that all the instructions that Paul gives in this little letter and all the instructions that God is pleased to give to you and to me in the Bible. All those instructions are founded and rooted in the gospel. We come then to the very beginning of the book, where Paul simply states that all of the authority he has all the authority in the church, all the authority that Titus might have is also rooted in this same gospel. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Why do we preach in the church? It's by the command of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Why do we gather In such circumstances, to read and to hear the word of God, it's by the command of God our Savior. And why does your pastor stand before you each Lord's Day to preach the word? It's because of the command of God our Savior. And under that authority, Paul operated, Titus operated, You and I operate in the church today. That's who we are. And that's the heritage which the great Apostle Paul has been pleased to give to you and to me. A little story. Uh, Several years ago, I had the privilege of preaching Uh, in a service which uh, was designed to unite two congregations in Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. And in this union service, uh, when I preach, I mentioned a uh, professor at Westminster Seminary in uh, California. Uh, In the congregation... Uh, was a former employee of Westminster Seminary in California, Dr. James Carson by name, Uh, a fine pastor in our denomination. Uh, Shortly after that uh, service, I received a letter from Dr. Carson. And Dr. Carson said to me in that letter, Denny, you erred in what you said about my colleague at Westminster Seminary in California. I think you were profoundly wrong in what you said and your assessment. I laid the, I laid the letter on my desk at home. And I went back to it several times. A few days later, I wrote to Dr. Carson, and I said, you're right, I did err. I should not have said what I did about your colleague. I repent. Will you forgive me? And I explained to him that I went to sermon audio, uh, to the recording, and I struck that portion of the recording that referred to his colleague. It's not this whole circumstance in itself that strikes me and that struck me on that particular occasion. What struck me on that particular occasion was when I saw Dr. Carson about a week later at church, at College Hill Church, where Irma and I were worshiping, he said to me, Denny, I did not expect that response. I thought to myself whoa you didn't expect that response in other words the implication was I figured Denny that you would fight with me that you would get on the defensive and that you would push back to me and I thought to myself no that certainly would not be the proper posture in such a circumstance. Because I need to take such criticisms seriously and evaluate them and bring my life more into conformity with Jesus Christ and with the gospel. You you see, this is what Titus is telling us, the little letter of Titus, when uh, Paul rehearses these problems that are in the church. And uh, when Paul rehearses the different directions for different categories of people within the church, and when Paul explains that all these directions are rooted in the gospel, uh, the big message is, folks, you need to bring your life into conformity with this gospel. No excuses, please. No excuses. You cannot be like the little boy who says to his dad, Uh, Dad, you may be telling me to sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. No, no, you do not have the privilege of saying that to Jesus Christ. And so, this is the message of Titus, and the message for you and for me this evening. Continually align your personal life, and continually align your church life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, good to us you are in every respect, and we thank you that this is the case. And we pray that we might be sensitive to your word and to your truth. And as we hear your word and hear your truth, we pray that we will discard by your grace the error and unbelief and sin in our own lives. And more and more, by your grace, we will be conformed to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. Bless us to this end, we pray. In his good name, amen.